What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... <coughs> I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. issue for all women hey hello and hi there just a heads up that the pod scene is a bit different this week because we recorded parts of it live at the harwich arts festival a cracking little festival in essex we were in an old cinema called the electric palace where the sound was a little bit echoey sorry about that afterwards we went for a shuffle in a place called dover court slash pretty much traveled back in time to the early 1990s where the array of haircuts was nothing short of astounding and i witnessed the most perfect fall which involved the man tipping an entire pint over his own head as he staggered backwards to the dulcet vibes of Wigfield's Saturday night. I digress. Coming up later in the show, Jess Foster Key tells us how to do fancy dine outdoor dining. Hannah Dunleavy chats genealogy with Karen Clare from Family Tree magazine ahead of the new series of Who Do You Think You Are? And Annika Harry gives us the lowdown on where the UK's at with LGBTQ plus rights. Our Sarah answers a very important question and Dunleavy did Disney's The Little Mermaid while we were in Harwich because we were by the sea and because we were dressed in fake tails and shell bras. Welcome to episode four of the Standard Issue podcast, which we are recording live at the Harwich Arts Festival. Give us a cheer, Harwich! <laughs> I'm Mickey Noonan, and I have fallen over and broken my nose three times, age five, age six, and age 28. I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and I regret nothing. <laughs> I'm Jen Offord, and I once won a trophy at Horse Rangers Camp for showing most perseverance, which I think technically means I was shit, but tried ever so hard not to be. And it is the taking part that counts. And I'm Jane Bostock, and last week I took the massive step of deactivating my Facebook account. And now I'm, yeah, I know, serious. Now I'm having an existential crisis. You just sit there and look pretty for this bit, love. All right, yeah. Usually at this point, one of us would say, it's time for the Bush Telegraph. And then to prepare listeners for the jingle, say, cue Sting, which is a mashup of Fleetwood Mac's Tusk, and my mate Mary shouting, Bush. But we got a tweet from someone asking why we say Q Sting and then play Fleetwood Mac, like maybe we were going to do tantric news in some fields of gold. Hold your breath as we swim through the shitty depths that is the news. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph. <laughs> Hold your breath as we swim through the shitty depths that is the news. Man, it has been hotter than Satan's ball sack. I even got worried about climate change for a moment, but I checked in with Trump and shy green Michael Gove, and I was worrying my silly little head about nothing. It's all okay. But then I do find it hard to think straight when even my ovaries are sweating. This week, everybody's least favorite king-making misogynist zealots, the DUP, are reportedly unhappy with the way negotiations are going with Theresa May, feeling that they are being taken for granted since the Prime Minister just announced they were joining her before they'd even started talking. I mean, you've got to feel really sorry for ardent pro-lifer Arlene Foster here. It's got to be terrible to have other people speaking for her, thinking they know what's best for her. It's almost as if people think she should have no say whatsoever in what happens to her. And meanwhile, the Daily Mail weren't mincing their words this week as they declared war of sorts on those peddlers of fake news, the fascist left, and the real purveyors of hate. That's The Guardian. And real was all caps because that's how you know words are bad in a male headline. 
Although, interestingly, neither fascist nor hate were, and I think we can all make of that what we like. The whole thing stank of Donald, be the bully, play the victim, Trump, who also uses all caps a lot, but in his case, it's so you can tell that his account hasn't been hacked by an illiterate 12-year-old. <laughs> the male's bizarre tirade came after a terror attack outside the Finsbury Park Mosque, which left one person dead and 11 others injured. But the perpetrator wasn't a Muslim, so, you know, he couldn't possibly have been radicalised. The Guardian's coverage included a cartoon which inferred a link between the male's commentary and the rise of right-wing hate crime, and it drew the ire of Paul Dacre and his band of bellends. <laughs> that's, that's the same male that employs a woman who referred to immigrants as cockroaches. Or is it... The male disowned its digital arm like it was a possessed limb in a piss-poor horror film. Or like a cat when it sees itself in the mirror and reacts as if it's a different cat when actually it's the same cat and that cat is a cunt. <laughs> I mean, it's not like the male thinks that people should take responsibility for rooting out extremism in their own communities now, is it? But it is the same paper that famously supported the black shirts back in the day, so it's probably well-placed to have a view on fascism. Maybe not. Ever get the feeling the Queen is getting properly hacked off with one, the current political shit show, and two, the fact that she's meant to keep her royal trap shut about the current political shit show. Not only did she cock a snook at Prime Minister May, seriously, how is that still a thing? By showing up at Grenfell Tower, security concerns be damned, but during her speech, she let her tipper do the talking. Brexit, we have absolutely no opinion whatsoever. As is decreed by our role as a head of state limited by constitutional rules, she said, while wearing an EU hat. <laughs> That's right, there was something for everyone when Black Rod came a-knocking on Wednesday to trigger the official opening of Parliament and open the floor to her match. Unless, of course, you're a fan of policies, in which case, sorry, but you can fuck right off and take Rod with you. Things were looking better and better, however, for the people's princess, Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> And not just after footage emerged of a thousand beamed-up youths chanting his name at a silent disco at Glastonbury. With a woefully sparse legislative programme set out, the country had to ask itself once again, just what is Teabag bringing to the party? Maybe we can make the Queen Prime Minister for a bit. I suspect Her Royal Highness has bought one of those prank buzzer things for if Trump ever tries to hold her hand. Because finally, after 173 years as monarch, the Lismeister General seems to be having a bit of fun with it. Which makes it all the more surprising that Prince Harry has announced that not one member of the Windsor crew fancies filling her boots, which presumably have Jezza's face on. Despite his extended phase as a spoilt little cockhammer with a penchant for dodgy fancy dress, Harry the Spare's lack of self-editing has become sort of endearing. Seriously though, mate, your dad is gagging for the crown, and by your dad, I mean Prince Charles. <laughs> And in other news, three-time Oscar winner Daniel Day-Lewis announced his retirement from acting. No news yet on how he plans to spend his retirement, although it will probably be the same way that everybody else does, travelling, pottering in the garden and enjoying quizzes. And given that my favourite Day-Lewis quote ever is, I don't give a tuppenny fuck about your conundrum, you meat-headed shitsack, I'm looking forward to his first appearance on Countdown enormously. <laughs> Elsewhere, idiots have found a novel way to make use of Coca-Cola and piss off dermatologists. Not content with a vast array of tanning products on the market, some were throwing caution to the wasp-infested wind by attempting to dye their pasty bodies with the fizzy sugar fest. No, really. <laughs> and in unsurprising news, given how bad it is for your teeth, Coda, it transpires, can actually dissolve dead skin cells, which makes it even easier to burn, so we'll be saving that for the winter months. First daughter Ivanka Trump raised some eyebrows when her World Refugee Day tweet asked us all to remember the plight and courage of refugees as her dad gives them all the finger. Which is a bit like reminding us of the importance of dignified behaviour while your dad plays with himself on live TV. <laughs> the Daily Telegraph has thoughtfully issued a warning to all the young men that the cougars are coming. To be clear, I bloody love massive cats. But the term cougar really boils my piss. Although I do have a pal who pronounces it cougar, which is absolutely lovely stuff. Cougars, though. That's right, women in their 40s and 50s are hooking up with men as young as 31 years of age. 
Seriously, the poor souls have barely left the nipple before these predatory females are using their elderly wiles to ensnare them into a consensual relationship. The article, written by a man who once went out with a woman a whole ten years his senior, outlines six reasons you should give cougaring a go, but ends with the line, secretly, you just like the nookie with an older chick. Oh, go sit on a tack, you prick. And finally, a survey this week revealed that one in three people has masturbated at work. And as someone who... As someone who works in a team of three, I'd just like to make it clear it wasn't me. That's all from the Bush Telegraph. More news next week. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. And now it's that part of the week where we have a mooch around the hashtag mainstream media to see what it has to say about women. Spoiler alert, it's usually bullshit. This week we're keeping with the flavour of our venue, the Electric Palace Cinema, and uh, check out the state of this headline from Variety magazine. On the heels of Wonder Woman, female directors are ready to tackle big films. So heels are what women wear, by the way, all of us. Uh, as you can see right here. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> it's just a saying, isn't it? So why be so needlessly offended by everything? Least of all the insinuation that women haven't been making decent films for, like, ages. Yeah, what about Carol Reed, Sam Wood, and Lena Vertmuller? They are all brilliant suggestions, uh, except they're all men-made. Ah, okay. Um, what about Jane Campion, Catherine Bigelow, Sophia Coppola, or uh, Amara Santley? That's right, women make films too. And sometimes they even pass the Bechdel test. Sometimes, admittedly, they don't, but as people keep reminding us, we can't have it all. I don't want it all. I haven't got room for it all. I'll have it. (laughs) Standard Issue for All Women. My name's Jessica Fosterkew, and I'm a comedian with a uniquely unabashed love of eating. Sure, I love food. Everyone's always admitting that they love food. But really, if we're honest, it's eating we love, isn't it? That's what I love. If there was just food there that I wasn't allowed to eat, I'd find that torturous. If it was food and not eating that we loved, surely we'd all have a £3 monthly subscription to the Sausage Sanctuary. This is your five-minute guide to eating alfresco. First things first, who is alfresco and why is he so delicious? If you think that eating alfresco sounds posh, it's not. It's just eating outside. You know last Friday when you smashed down that kebab between sips of Kestrel while you waited for the night bus? Technically, that was eating al fresco. Al fresco is from the Italian for in the fresh, as in open air. Well, they've clearly never enjoyed a tepid Greg's pastry at one of the picnic benches outside the Junction 46 services of the A1M. Open air maybe, but fresh? Christ, I felt fresher during the late stages of childbirth. Most supermarkets at the moment have got a sexy range of picnic stuff already made from curly sandwiches through to M&S with their ridiculous salmon and trout courgette wrapped cofters. Two of the most pretentious looking canapes I've ever seen, but they've been pushed in pairs onto giant lollipops. Let's not muck about. I'm mocking them, but I do want to eat them all up. My first tip with picnics is know where you're meeting. I mean exactly where you're meeting. Picnics are often in parks or on beaches, and parks and beaches can be massive. It's all good and well pretending you're laid back and you just take your time finding the others, but trust me, by the time you've been looking for them for ages, you'll start crying from being lost, and when you do meet up with them, the picnic's ruined, not because of anything they've done, but because of you and your terrible mood and red eyes. Next tip, think about carrying devices. Beautiful wicker hampers are all good and well if your picnic's in your garden. Otherwise, get something to carry your stuff in that isn't going to twat up your back. Next, think about weight. You're going to be carrying all this stuff there, even if you're not going to be carrying it back. And just remember stuff like, if you're going to treat yourself to a bottle of bubbly, that's great, but that does weigh about four stones. So maybe like offset it with a bag of Maltesers. Anyway, that's not my point. My point is that picnics can be gloriously cheap if you don't buy all that stuff. If you know a picnic's coming up, then... 
Leave enough time to plan making your stuff. It doesn't have to be swanky. It can be unswanky. If you tap picnic recipes into an online search, you'll be away. Um, Good Food, BBC Good Food have got a whole page on it. So does Jamie Oliver. There's loads out there. Right, let's talk about barbecues. It is the best smell. I would forego the heavenly stink of bacon, cut grass, even skunk in exchange for a waft of a barbecue. They reek of people just a few fences away having a much better time than you. We'll make it you. Probably the only better smell than a barbecue is when someone walks past you and your heart leaps into your throat because they've got the same perfume as your mum. Anyway, we're talking about barbecues. I've got a couple in the house next door, neighbours, some people call them, and we can't remember their names, and that's bad because we've lived there far too long to ask. But we do call them one sausage and one burger because once we saw them having a barbecue and literally just cooking one sausage and one burger. It's one of the saddest things I've ever seen. It made me sadder than when my friend told me she'd done a gig with Dave Benson Phillips and he wore a t-shirt with his number on, his real number, just in case anyone might ever want to call him. Anyway, barbecues. They cause a lot of poison. Some people are arguing that that's because they're tricky to, to cook food on. Oh, they fuck. They're an outdoor grill. It's a piece of piss. Check the coals are lit. Let them burn until there's no flames and then cook your stuff until it's cooked. I'll tell you why barbecues are poisoning people all summer. It's men, arrogant men, probably called Alan and Dan. Why men, if you can't cook, do you think that your twig and berries thinks that you have to be master of the barbecue? Unless you're already someone who knows how to and likes or loves cooking, just because you've got a wang, it doesn't mean this is your time to shine. I don't get this. I've had more sexist comments about my presence with some tongs at a barbecue than I have on a stage with a microphone, and that is saying something. Alan... Did you forget about that time when you tried to fry the pork pie? Step away from the barbecue. Just want to do a quick shout out to my fellow vegans during barbecue season. Don't be put off and think you've got to turn up there with one lettuce leaf. There's loads of lush recipes out there with tofu and stuff and loads of lovely like veggie burgers that you can make. But if you can't be bothered and you haven't got time, then Aldi do wicked and veggie quarter pounders or spicy bean burgers that are the absolute tip. I think that should sort you out for eating outside this summer. Or eating al fresco, if you must. I am in Cambridge with Karen Clare, the assistant editor of Family Tree magazine. And we're going to be talking about genealogy because there's a new series of Who Do You Think You Are starting. Are you a fan, Karen? Yeah, I think it's great. Particularly the last series was fantastic. Danny Dyer was just the best one I've ever seen. It's hilarious. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to this new series, which I think starts on July 6th. Uh, yeah, it starts with Charles Dance. Craig Revel Horwood is having one. Who knows what horrors are going to be revealed there. But nothing is going to be. Geezer's got a drawbridge, I don't think. <laughs> no, certainly not. No, that's the <laughs> <Nope>. best ever. <laughs> They've been. I think there's probably been 10 years of the show's. So that was a yeah, standout moment. Yeah, this one's got a lot to live up to, but it should be good. If anyone watches it and they are inspired to start tracing their family tree, where's the best place to start? Definitely talk to any of your older relatives. A lot of people quite private, so you've got to be very sensitive. Don't just pop along and shove a camera in their face. You know, have a chat to them first, maybe get them to fill in a questionnaire or have a quiet moment. You can have a family reunion and take a family tree with you and get to fill them fill in some names ask them what their childhood was like and you'll soon find they're talking about people you never knew existed follow on from there really see if they've got any documents any old birth certificates you can all photograph talk about people in the photographs you'll be amazed what you find out it's interesting you say that about people are private because that's one of the problems i've always had with tracing my family tree is that um, my family is irish and irish catholic and they don't really talk about things. There are whole periods of my family's history which they refer to in euphemistic terms like the unpleasantness. But the other problem I have with having an Irish family is that there was a fire at the records office and lots of records were destroyed. Yes, in 1922, there's the Four Courts Fire in Dublin. So certainly a lot of records were very sadly destroyed in that fire. Actually, there's been a massive improvement in access to public records in Ireland in the last couple of years. You can look at the 1901-1911 census is still available. There's census substitutes like land valuation records. You can find them available. Griss's valuation. There's parish registers. There's births, marriage and deaths, civil records. You can find them online now. So it's just getting better and better. I mean, it will never replace those records 
that got lost but you can get a long way now what if your family come from somewhere else abroad it's a good idea to really look at the the country that you believe they came from um there's no getting way around that really i mean there are if they're french huguenots i think there are you may find there are records at the national archives which is at q uh it's well worth a trip to q but they've got a brilliant website anyway and a catalogue called discovery so look up discovery at the national archives have a have a play on there there's loads of free research guides as well and also um on our website you'll find lots of stuff um which is www.family-tree.co.uk um so look at the point of the country the country where you think they came from if someone like india if they're british india then there's lots and lots of records at the british library in the india office there but really you'll need to look outside the country you may find you need to employ a researcher in that country especially if it's a foreign country and you don't speak the language then definitely um there'll be people who can help you in the archives there yeah it's not like who do you think you are you don't walk in and they just do it for you and come back and go by the way you're related to richard the third yeah no that's that's unlikely but that's i mean part of the fun is doing it yourself anyway because i think it's more than a list of names doing your family tree it's digging out all the stories as well it's much so much more which is why people love it because it's finding out your family your family's story and the lives of the people that came before you so what's the most interesting story you've come across not necessarily in your family but via your work at the magazine uh we have some great stories we have Quite a lot of interesting reader stories. I always love the ones to do with coincidences. We had somebody write in who felt she had a genealogy angel on her shoulder. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, she she went over to Ireland on a sort of trip and went back to her village, not really expecting to find anything, and then ended up, of course, finding, you know, actually going to the right house and the family was still living there, finding out all these people in this little tiny village in Ireland all related to her, all looking like her. And that's, I mean, that seems to happen quite a lot, to be honest. A lot of that sounds expensive. Does it need to be? Uh, Initially, I don't think so. There's absolutely loads of free stuff online now. As you get further, I mean, you do want to make sure you're tracing the right family. So absolutely, I mean, you can play around and find out there are several paid-for subscription websites. So there's Ancestry, which you will have heard of probably, Find My Past, The Genealogist. They're all subscription websites. A lot of them offer the same records, similar records like census records, but some of them specialise in certain other things. So see what's available, what you want to research first. You can take out free trials anyway often. And then there's also websites like Free BMD, which is all free birth, marriage, death records, which volunteers have spent years transcribing. But you need to know you're following the right family because you could spend a fortune and find out you're following the wrong family which is a, a waste of your time, very disappointing, very expensive. But there's free websites as well, like Family Search, which is brilliant. So I know that my great-granddad spent some time in prison, but I don't know why. How would I go about finding out? Depending where he lived, you might have to go to the local... I don't, I'd inquire at the local record office. That's a good place to start. Again, look on the Discovery website, the National Archives website. They have a list of every county record office in the country on there. Do people need to brace themselves for the fact that they might not discover pirates and exciting people? They might find people who lived in dung-built shacks. Certainly, yeah, you will find that. A lot of us are from what in our family history community are called ag labs. A lot of us have got agricultural labourers, which doesn't sound too interesting always. But you can see our families grow through the census records and it's just interesting to see that they they had really, really hard lives. They lost a lot of children. Their death rate was very high. And then you follow their stories. You can still, they're hard to trace, but you can still find stories in um, newspapers. So you might find them on the British Newspaper Archive. Just Google, um, you can Google them as well. That's a good way also to just Google your family's name. But also the British Newspaper Archive, which um, is good to see if there's any local stories. They may have, you know, won the largest cow competition at the village fete up in court for something. That would be... Um, this is why everyone yeah. spends all their time crying on who do you think you are, <laughs> isn't it? Probably why, yes. There are an awful lot of tragic, tragic <laughs> stories, I find. But then it's good to know, it does really shape, I think. It's interesting to see, you might think, oh, wow, I 
this is where I get my determination from. That was definitely my three times great-grandfather. Yeah. So um, <laughs> you might believe that stuff, but um, there's definitely, you may well find family traits that you can read into. It's always fascinating. Thank you. That's super helpful. I will let you know if I am related to someone terrific. I'm not... I'm not going to put any money. I'm sure I'm related to someone terrific. But, yeah, um, yeah, uh, famously terrific might be different. Thank you very much for your time, Karen. You're very welcome. Standard issue for all women. Uh, Question. I'm not answering that. Hello, this is Sarah Millican, and you're listening to Sarah Millican's Question Time. I'm currently recording this in my living room. It is chucking it down with rain outside. And yet again, I think there might be a rumbly tum in the background because I've yet to have some Rice Krispies open bracket chocolate hobnobs close bracket for my breakfast. (laughs) And my question this week comes from Jenny Tunbridge on the Standard Issue Facebook page. Thank you very much for your question, Jenny. And Jenny's question is, uh, what is the, the, the proper way to make a cup of tea in your opinion? Now, this is debatable. Uh, but, well, it's not. It's my opinion. Sod it. It's my opinion. Um, what I would do is, first of all, I select a cup slash mug. I call them cups. They're mugs. I don't do cups because I'm not in Downton Abbey or a child. Do children drink from cups? I don't know. Um, I've just realised that feels like a thing and it's probably not. Uh, <laughs> I choose a mug. I have, I have many mugs, like cupboards and cupboards of mugs. It's probably the thing I spend the most money on, if I'm honest. But I have—I always have two or three favourites. I'll pick one of the favourites. If there's not a favourite there, I will pick another cup. Uh, but I won't be that happy about it. And But I'm certainly not going to like wash one for it, because <laughs> I'm not an idiot. Um, so I'll pick a cup. I'll put the kettle on. And I'll usually shout uh, if my husband wants a cup of tea as well. Um, and then we do caff or decaf. Because if we're not needing to be alert or funny that day, we'll decaf. But if there's a necessity, like today I'm driving, so it's calf today. If I'm being funny later on, it's calf. But if if I'm lying around or, you know, meeting with family members, (laughs) anything where they don't require me to be funny, I mean, it's a nice bonus, but it's not essential. They're not paying me after all. Then I will decaf. Then uh, when the kettle is boiled, I have a special little jar of decaf. So say I'm having decaf that day. I will put a decaf tea bag in. I don't do loose leaf tea because I can't be faffed because it feels like a proper fanny on. And again, I'm not in Downton Abbey or a child because <laughs> children all drink loose leaf tea. Uh, and <laughs> sorry, <laughs> and I'll pour the hot water on and I'll leave it for two or three minutes to stew. Then I'll squeeze that back to fuck squeeze it to fuck within an inch of its life with a teaspoon then i'll chuck the tea bag i've got a little saucer that's dedicated just for this situation even though the bin's not that far away but i like to make life easier for myself and then i put one sugar in because it's not two so that makes me feel better about myself and the tiniest bit of lactose free milk just so it goes opaque and then i proceed to dunk at least three biscuits in it and then drink the remainder. But three hobnobs. There's only an inch of tea left after that because they're really absorbent. I hope that helps, Jenny. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye. If you'd like me to answer one of your questions, then tweet us at Standard Issue UK using the hashtag SMQT. Thank you. Standard Issue for all women. Hello, I'm Annika Harry. I'm a proud vagina owner, and my partner happens to own one too. Get over it. Now, admittedly, this isn't quite as catchy as Stonewall's anti-homophobia slogans, but it is my personal jingle, forward slash war whoop, in the face of any LGBTQ plus adversity. And my giddy gay aunt, there's still a lot of it. Disclaimer, I don't actually have a gay aunt, sadly, but I'm in the market for one if you know of anyone who might be swayed. You know how us gays like to recruit. It's all we're in it for, aside from waiting for the phase to pass and prepping for eternal damnation. If you're LGBTQ, WXYZ, whatever letter of the alphabet you choose to identify as, these are scary times. I'd be blasted by anyone who's ever asked, why don't we have a straight pride? 
if I didn't mention here that, of course, I know it's petrifying for everyone. There aren't enough hours in podcast land or beyond to talk about the atrocities to humanity that we are unbelievably still battling in this day and age. I'm talking purely from an LGBTQ point of view, from a rainbow throne, if you will. And please imagine it's the velvetiest, glitteriest, most plush and elegantly designed throne you've ever seen. The sassy and stylish stereotype is one I'm happy to own. What do you mean that one's reserved for gay men? Throw lesbians a frickin' bone already! And yes, I recognise the irony in that choice of phrase. And no, I don't find your jokes about me having a nut allergy funny. However, the one where you asked me if I get turned on when I look at myself in the mirror naked was hilarious. Your serious, inquisitive tone was confusing, though. You're going to need to work on your delivery. So, after a very brief insight into some of the ignoramuses, daily struggles and microaggressions an LGBT person faces, disguised as an informative introduction, I can get to everyone's favourite issue. Politics! The world is well and truly farraged. Here, we've got politicians hiding behind their supposed faith to find ways of somehow smoothing over their own homophobia. Leaders who started out as opponents of LGBT rights but have obviously learned to keep their mouth shut about it so to better their careers. And wannabes whose bigoted beliefs will hopefully continue to keep them pretty seatless, if not eradicated, ASAP. You know who you all are. How can we have a completely progressive country with small-minded bozos at the helm? For as long as there's prejudice at the top, inverted commas, there will be prejudice in the papers, prejudice on our streets, in our schools and workplaces, and love will have to fight so much harder to win over hate. I can't even begin to go into the coalition that could put us back over 50 years or that American pussy grabber who wouldn't know what to do with it if he caught one. There's only one American with power that I'm supporting right now, and that's RuPaul. To be honest, I used to find it really annoying when I was asked or I'd hear others in the biz quizzed about their sexuality, especially when it had no importance or even a vague link to anything being discussed. The media's got this tendency to fixate on sexuality to such degrees it strips any normality from the person and or their love life. Apart from monthly blazing rows over who's used all the tampons, my relationship is strong, glorious and as normal as normal can be. Thanks for asking. Any hurdles we've overcome have been plonked in front of us by other people's bias. My close circles are sadly and madly chock-a-block with people who are being made to feel they should be ashamed by, hiding from or somehow shunning their sexuality. For all that we've achieved as a country, I can't believe I've still got friends who basically can't be proud at Pride. It's true we may have mostly the same legal rights in the UK as non-LGBT folk, but we certainly don't have all. That is not equality. We may have a record amount of LGBT people in Parliament, but that doesn't automatically equate widespread acceptance and respect. And we are the lucky ones. The fact that it is still illegal to be gay in over 70 countries across the world is a very bleak reminder of just how far we've come, but also how far there is to go. P.S. Did you notice I started this piece saying LGBTQ+, and the letters started to drop off as I waffled on? Soz about that. The fight for equality is really tiring. I just needed to be economical with my breath. PPS, you can find me on Twitter at Annika Harry if you'd like to carry on the conversation. Just don't disagree with me, okay? Or else I'll be forced to call you a homophobe. we'd usually hit the sting for Dunleavy Does Disney, which is actually a hot slice of 70s porn music called Dick Dagger's Theme by Dagger. They definitely meant pork sword, guys, just saying. But just a little trip into Hannah's brain for you. When we were initially chatting about this feature, I suggested Dunleavy Destroys Disney, and she quickly said, no, I want it to be called Dunleavy Does Disney because it sounds like the weirdest porn film ever made. And I said, oh, right, well, we'll need some porn music for the sting then. This is what happened. I was like, what what sort of porn have you been watching? Like, um, umpire porn? 
So yeah, Hannah, can you cue us in, please? Da, 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 da. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you do this week? This week I watched The Little Mermaid, which I haven't seen before. Okay. Um, maybe we should ask, has anyone here seen it before? Yeah, yeah, that's a few. That's enough. That's a sufficient amount. That yeah, it's probably won't... more than should have watched. Yeah, um, my joke won't fall on deaf ears. No. But, um, have you guys watched it? I actually watched it for the first time here in this very cinema. Oh, that's lovely. I watched it, yeah, probably when... <laughs> Isn't it? Sincere. Yeah, yeah. So cute. Um, I watched it for the first time when I was about 12, and then uh, for the purposes of this, I watched it again yesterday. Jane? Jane? I haven't watched it. Lucky, lucky Jane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. It is, yeah. So, for those of us who haven't seen it in the audience and Jane, can you give us a lowdown on the plot? Please I, and I certainly can. So, Ariel is um, she's a 16-year-old mermaid who wants to live with the people with two feet because, like all teenagers, she has the idea that life is better. You know, the grass is greener on the other side. And, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to say to her, you know, love, there's athlete's foot, there's the M25, <laughs> there's Donald Trump up here. All you've got is sharks yeah. down there. So her dad, who's the Merking, not Merkin, Merking. <laughs> Just a big, clear. like, massive hair in the ocean. <laughs> Triton. On the other hand, he hates the people with two feet, human beings, because he thinks they are dangerous, they are selfish, and they eat all the creatures of the sea. And if you ask me, that's actually fair enough. Yeah. And that's even before we get into how many used tampons he must find floating around in his front garden of a morning. Um, I'm really glad you brought up Triton, because I just want to say something. He is fit. <laughs> I know he's a cartoon, and probably about 80, and weirdly tapered into nothing. But, no, Jed? I don't, I don't I do know where to go with this, I really don't. Hannah, <laughs> any opinions on this? Come on, guys, don't leave me hanging. It's like, definitely 9,000 years old. All Disney uh, parents are way too old, though. But, I mean, 9,000 is quite a stretch. That's even more than Mrs. Potts. Yeah. yeah. And it's I, true that they are all a lot older, but in, in relatively, he's in pretty good nick, right? Do we ever find out what happens to her mum? I don't think so. Sharks. I always wondered if she'd been killed by a human, and that's why he had such, such bad vibes about humans. None of us can answer that question, Jen. <laughs> Not even Disney can answer that question, yeah. but it's she just a lot of she doesn't like people who eat, eat fish. What do they have down there? Anandos. <laughs> That's another... I don't think they ever really clear up what they eat, either. Seaweed? Krill. Well, they all eat each other, don't they? Quite in a sexy way. <laughs> They're all weird mer-cannibals. They just... Yes. Merkables. Merkables. Yeah. So, yeah. so one day, Ariel, is, she's swimming around in the in uh, shipwrecks with her mate Flounder, who is basically a fish with giganticism. (laughs) And she sees this ship full of morons letting off fireworks, um, which, you know, that sounds like a complete health and safety nightmare. And then that ship gets into trouble in a storm, and they've let off all the flares, right? So, um, So she has to sweep in, and she saves this prince called Eric, who unbelievably and inexplicably is called Eric, and, and why, I don't know why he's on the boat. I think he's on his gap year or something. <laughs> and she sings... No, they're, going, they're going looking for a wife. Are they? Yeah. So she sings him back to life and falls in love with him immediately because that's what women in fairy tales do. And her dad, who I think is an infinitely sensible man um, up until this point, he's not happy. So she swims off to meet this, I don't even know what it is, this sea witch octopus thing called Ursula. Um, there's a lovely bit where Eric is washed up on the shore, like, out for the count, and there's a seagull, is he called Scuttles or something? Yeah. And there's a crab called Sebastian. Scuttler, maybe. And a crab called Sebastian, and uh, the seagull goes, is he dead? And Sebastian goes, it's hard to tell, which is pretty much par for the course for every Disney prince going. <laughs> I have no idea, there's definitely no one home. No. No. <laughs> He is a proper Jevons, to be fair. Like, he's really dull. But little girls, one of these could be yours. This cardboard cutout of a human being. But I do remember watching it as a child and thinking he was well fit. I didn't really care that he was dull. Or two-dimensional. 
No. There's a theme here, isn't it, with that attraction of two-dimensional cartoon characters? Have you never fancied a cartoon character? Not even the fit dog off Dog Tanyan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the spaniel one. Is that Aramis? Yeah, Aramis. I haven't watched that. I feel like I've lost out. I've not watched any of this sort of Disney porn. My first crush was Iceman from Spider-Man and Friends because uh, he could make his own like speedy, slidey runways. Who doesn't want that in a man? Come on. Um, <laughs> it's better Come than on. Eric. Yeah. Yeah. But Eric, I mean, he hasn't got any special power. He can't even recognise a woman who saved his life. No. Well, we'll but get to that. She had a tail then. So the only way she can she can get onto the land is to have two legs. So she strikes up a deal in which she gives her voice to Ursula in return for a nice pair of legs. Or um, pins. Yeah. Pins. And there's this crab that tries to stop her via the medium of the song Under the Sea, um, <laughs> which, so which won an Oscar and contains the words, Darling, it's better down where it's wetter, which I think is a sentiment we can all agree with. Um, so she goes to the land and she can't talk because she doesn't have a voice. But you see, you maybe haven't listened to our podcast, but I have a real problem with plot faults that maybe other people don't have, and I do kind of obsess. And I don't. The thing I don't understand here is why she doesn't write anything down. Because she's signed a name. She signed a name. But I also don't understand why she finally gets out of the sea and the very first thing she does is have a nice long bath, <laughs> which seems like completely bonkers. Um, anyway, there's loads of misunderstandings because, like, she can't speak and Eric's a moron. Um, and then the baddie gets stabbed to death with a shipwreck, which, fun fact, is the only way Sean Bean is yet to die in a film. It's true. Oh, I love Sean Bean deaths. What's your favourite Sean Bean death? That's a hard one. It's tricky. Let's all have a little think about that. Oh, no, it's the oh. one when... Oh, no, but oh, there's some spoilers here. I don't want to... Oh. Does he die? I don't want to, yeah. <laughs> it's the one where he's uh, driven off a cliff by marauding sheep. Oh, that sounds good. Which one's that? That's the best. I'll tell you which one oh, it is later. And at the funeral, everyone was like, it's what he would have wanted. It is. I thought he always died in the same way. I thought he basically always played some sort of medieval character who mm. just got, you know... No, he's just death by horses. No, more, more basic than that. Just, you know, a simple stabbing to do it. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. It's always more elaborate with that. Oh, really? yeah. that and they seem to get more... There's a brilliant uh, YouTube montage of Sean Bean deaths and they just get increasingly more fantastical. I look forward to that. You should. Do you want another fun fact? Yes, please. Okay, so Ursula, apparently it took a year to cast the role of Ursula. She's actually played by a comedian called Pat Carroll, but in the process of the year they saw Joan Collins, the Arthur from Golden Girls, Roseanne Barr and Nancy Marchand who went on to be Tony Soprano's mum, Vivian. Yeah. Um, oh, poor you. Um, I don't know if you've seen The Sopranos, but it's almost like she was in the room. It was. That was amazing. <laughs> um, and I think any of those people would have done it. Ursula's a great character. And she's also, we were listening, I don't know why, we were tormenting ourselves and listening to a song from it's The Little Mermaid. It's because Mermaid's. Jen likes it. Jen really likes it. It's my favourite. It's because Jen doesn't like women. It's weird. It's true. I hate them all. I don't know why I'm here, really. <laughs> Um, but Ursula's singing voice is way better than Ariel's. Exactly. I would, if I was going to have a voice, I would go there. Ariel's is like drowning puppies. Ursula's yeah. just a better character all round. Yeah. Because she, unlike, so back as a child watching this, you want to be as Ariel, an angry child. As an angry child. This is pre-anger. I think I was about eight when this came out. So okay. I was like pre-anger. I, I'm wondering whether any of the anger comes from the fact that you're made to sit through this like an abomination. <laughs> it is. It is one of the only VHS. Uh, tapes that I've kept I still own it even though I have absolutely no means by which to watch it and Netflix does exist Does it live next to that framed picture of Aramis from uh, Dog Tanning in the Muscat House? <laughs> yes, <laughs> and the rest <laughs> uh, So when you're a kid and you watch it you're like, Ariel's well fit, I want to be Ariel she's great, but actually like, she is a dick and, and she does you know, go out with this idiot and actually now, like, you'd totally be Ursula because she has some agency and she looks like she's just having a bit of a laugh with it all. Yeah. She's just laughing at everyone else, I think, until she dies and then she's not laughing. But like I said, we do all die, so, you know. 
It's a very, very simple message to today's podcast, and that is we all die, guys. Yeah. Um, Sorry, guys. There's, there's a lot of weird sort of sexy stuff in it. There is. It? She bursts out of the sea in, yeah, Sorry, in a, really yeah, in a, I much. can't, I, in a way that people burst out of the sea in 1980s aftershave adverts. <laughs> there's something very, yeah, strange about it. And she also presumably bursts out of the sea naked, and they do a lot of weird stuff where they sort just of cut, cut around just, her. Yeah, just what, like, they put the a couple of jugs in front of her. That's sort <laughs> yeah. of like, it's like yeah. calendar girls, like the calendar girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's yeah. Just a couple of muffins at the, yeah. at, at the right well, moment. Yeah. Chelsea. Song. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that is quite weird that she's like kind of sexy. And also, she's told once her voice is gone that women don't really need a voice anyway. In fact, when we start talking, it puts men off, um, and. I can probably confirm that, but it's not the point. It's not the point. Um, but on, would, sorry, sorry, Jen, defender sorry, of the Little Mermaid. I it because I think that um, in that song that you're talking about, Poor Unfortunate Soul, which is a belter, uh, Jen will be finishing the podcast with her rendition of this. Just wait. Uh, so she, although you're saying she's saying, oh, you don't need to have a voice, blah, blah, blah. I think she's, she's talking to idiots. And that's what they think. So Ariel's like, oh, you know, just want to go out with this fit dude who I met like two seconds ago and now I'm in love with him, blah, blah, blah. But I love him. But I love him. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And, but, she, they're all idiots. And Ursula's just like, you're idiots. I'm going to exploit that. That's an interesting message to send out, though, isn't it? Because it is a kid's spell. And the message is be the idiots. Yeah. She's just, you know, spotted an opportunity. Because I think the thing that I couldn't quite believe about this film, this film was made in 1989. Now, I watched Snow White recently, and that is appalling. But at least that was made in 1940. This was made in 1989. And I think the really valuable point is Disney is currently remaking all of its films as live action. And it is remaking this with, this is a bit of fun fact, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who who wrote Hamilton is doing new songs for it. Okay. Um, so that's possibly a positive thing. Not for Jen. But, I mean, there's, there's three key problems with it. I think the first one is that the, meta- the protagonist is mute. Yep. Um, the second one is that it's two women being pitted against each other, which is a very Disney thing to do. And the, the last one, the thing that really annoys me, is, is this, this, this idea that young girl, that you, a portrayal of a young girl who's, who wants to grow up and live another life, ends up married off a she does, yeah. And that, that's not a good message to it's send not, out to no. kids. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because people take their kids to see this film, and then when their kids are 16 and they go, oh, I love him, <laughs> their boyfriend, their Very parents stupid. go, just get in the car and drive away. Yeah. <laughs> Daddy's got a new job, get in the car. Maybe, uh, maybe Disney should do uh, Wuthering Heights. Yeah. <laughs> they should. Yeah. You've, got, you've got a son. Do I you, have. Does he watch... No, I, he, he does a little bit, but he do, he, I can lie a bit in the sense that um, he likes Star Wars and Disney have bought the franchise. Right. Um, but he, he used to love, he's six, so he's sort of not really into this. He, he would never, what, it wouldn't interest him, this story. So, but Good he's. For he, him. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to think he's a feminist. Yes. Um, but he did like things like Toy Story and Cars, which I loathe. And, uh, well, know, I'm, I'm annoyed. Toy Story. No, cars. No, oh. no one. I look. hate cars. I have a real issue with cars because they're cartoon cars and they've given them eyes when clearly the headlights are the eyes. Why extra eyes? <laughs> oh, look, front over, front over. It's got no, Paul I'm Newman in it. It has I'm got Paul Newman you. in it. I've never End seen of discussion. Film. End of discussion. Yeah. Does that make it all right? That makes it absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Have you watched it? Oh, yeah, of course I have. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have a nephew. I have to watch stuff like that all the time. Oh, yeah, of course. But, um, but with Ethan, and sorry, what's your son called? Alex. And with Alex, they don't grow up wanting to be the Disney prince, whereas the little girls grow up trying to, or wanting to emulate the Disney prince. That's, no, that's true. I mean, like, there was a dress-up day. There's, like, there seems to be a dress-up day every other freaking day at my son's school, like, and they, I have to sort of... They've just not got any teachers. Drink. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just make you work for it. You know, like, last year, I got, like, four days' notice to make him a snowflake. Like, and I just, I just panicked. You know, like, 
just it was it's frightening. My my brother is a single dad, and uh, I was at his house when my nephew just announced, apropos of nothing, while he was eating his dinner and watching The Simpsons, that he needed to go to school dressed as a character from a book the next day. Yeah. And um, we made him something out <laughs> of. Um, uh, we said I basically what I had was a lab coat. So we um, we I went to Mum's net because it is a wealth of information and. Mum's net suggested that we turn him into the demon dentist, so we had to like put like blood on the lab coat. And my brother's like smashing up a biro, um, and he said, "If this doesn't work, like one of us is going to have to open the vein onto this and do it." <laughs> and then we were like, "He needs a face mask," and I actually made him a face mask. I sewed him something as out of one of my mum's old bras. Oh wow! 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 And he wow. went. And he's just, like I say, watching the telly and going, yeah, whatever. And then at one point I realised that this character was actually a woman and he went, well, I don't care. And um, so he went off to school, like, in a, in a bra, in, uh, in, in, a, in one of his nan's old mm. bras on his face. And, and he won a certificate. Well, there you go. Um, there you go. My mum once dressed me up for, there was a fancy dress tug of war, and I must have been uh, about six, and she dressed me up as a TV and so she just like sort of evil Edna from Willow the Wisp, yeah. if any of you remember that. that. And um, so she got a big cardboard box and she cut the front out and she put it on my head, failing to realise that when the tugging started in the tug of war, the box would just spin round yeah, and I could see the fuck all. I was on the ground in about two minutes flat. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, often when there is a dress up day and there isn't any specific theme, most of the girls do dress up as princesses. It's they all true. come as that one from Frozen, which I haven't seen. That's less prevalent. Oh, there's, really? there's so many varieties now of princess. Yeah. But they're all the same. Yeah, they're mm. all the same. So mm. many different, but all the same. Mm. Hannah, what is the score on the door for The Little Mermaid, please? I'm going to give The Little Mermaid two unnecessary baths out of five. That's it for this week's podcast, parts of which were recorded live at the Electric Palace Cinema in Harwich. That was part of the Harwich Festival of the Arts, which we had a bloody lovely time at. Big up, as they say, to Michael Offord for his help organising and recording the gig. Next week's offering from us is a gig cast, featuring Mira Sayal, Joanna Scanlon, Alison Moyer, Zoe Lyons and, da boss, Sarah Millican. It's going to be rad as fuck. Our music was composed and recorded by Barry Hilton, All Rights Reserved. Thanks to David Young, Mary Young and John Clare for their help with the stings. We have an archive full to brimming with excellent articles over at www.standardissuemagazine.com and Sarah's got a whole third of her website devoted to us. We have various in-conversation events coming up and loads more of these planned across the country, not just in London. So keep an eye on our events page, which you'll find at sarahmillican.com forward slash standard hyphen issue. For July's show, we've got Ellie Taylor, Andy Osho, Lisa Tarbuck and Janet Street Porter all booked in. And for August, we've got Ashling B and Kate, I'm too busy for the Spice Girls, Thornton. They're going to be fucking cracking. We'd bloody love to hear from you, and you can write to us at mailbag at standardissuemagazine.com, follow us on Twitter at Standard Issue UK, or find us on Facebook and Instagram. All of our podcasts are available on iTunes and Podomatic. Stay frosty, champs.